we've made it to the part of the book of Romans where Paul talks about Jesus Christ being the answer. I mean, last week we talked about the problem, and the problem is the inhumanity of humankind, a.k.a. sin, selfishness. And uh, it was Paul's desire to bring the answer answer to selfishness, the answer that saves humanity, also known as salvation, is through Jesus Christ. And so Paul had a passion to share that answer with the world. Now today, in Rome and all over Italy, there is literally a church on every corner. Almost every important building is turned into a church here. And Jesus is worshiped. There are statues and pictures of him absolutely everywhere. That was not the case in Paul's day. In Paul's day, there were a few small house churches in the ghetto part of town. That was it. And before Paul arrived here, he sent his letter to be passed around to those little house churches, just a tiny, tiny community. And yet, Paul's passion to share Jesus as the answer brought him to this, the center the Roman Empire. I'm standing next to the prison where Paul eventually stayed on death row. Now, when Paul came here, he came into a part of Rome and he stayed into a rented house. He was a prisoner, but he was allowed some freedom. And he shared the gospel with people as they came, as they took care of him, with Roman soldiers that guarded him, watched over him. And what we believe is that probably at the time of Nero, who allowed a fire to rage through this city so he could expand his palace, then Nero blamed the Christians. And we believe it was probably under his reign that Paul was brought to this prison where, I'm, where I am now. And actually, there's a church that's built over the top of it. Paul was brought there, and that was death row. In Paul's day, it was a political prison. Right next to the center of the Roman Empire here, 
They kept their prisoners, the political ones, the ones that were the greatest threat to the empire. Somehow, Paul, with this message about Jesus, was a threat to the Roman emperor. But the Christians are just... Do you know what they believe? Just vague ideas. I mean, I they worship they're... a criminal who was executed by the Roman court. They believe that he came back from the dead and he's walking around the earth, a living corpse, yeah. if you will. And they have ceremonies where they drink of his blood and they eat of his flesh, but of course it is not his blood and his flesh. It is the blood of the babies that are stolen from our streets. And as an act of revenge, they have burned down our beloved city. And are you prepared to tolerate such blasphemers in our midst? No! No, they must not be tolerated. They have spread like a plague, and you, you have done nothing! We will bring their leaders back to Rome, and we will make an example of them. We will stage their executions for our amusement, and the last thing that they will hear will be our laughter and applause. Lord, it shall be written in the scorched earth that there is only one Rome, there is only one Nero, and there is only one Caesar! As we know, if you fast forward 2,000 years later, um, Jesus and the message of Jesus has literally changed our world. Oddly enough, back in Paul's day, Christians were mocked. Jesus was not thought of as the answer. He was thought of as anything but the answer. In fact, the first known picture that we have in the world of Jesus is not a flattering picture at all. It's actually a mocking picture. There's a cross and there's a donkey-headed God hanging, crucified on that cross. It was making fun of a guy who was a first century worshiper of Jesus. It was, it was saying, in a sense, you worship the donkey-headed God. You worship the God that was crucified. You see, anyone that was crucified, they weren't glorified, they were made fun of because that meant you were weak, that meant you had no power. And that was the whole point. It was Paul sharing this message that Jesus is the answer, that in death there is life, that in sacrifice there is hope and there is healing. Let me read a little bit to you. This is what Paul wrote to the church here in Rome. He says this, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This was a brand new idea. This was never heard of before, that God would die for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we deserved it, but because he loved us. What was the answer? What was the problem? The problem was sin. The answer was Christ who died for us. And then he says this, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Now think about that. This is the hope, Paul says, that we have. And the hope 
is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that hope, Paul says, will never, ever disappoint us. You know, it's interesting. I sat in this prison right here the other day. I came by myself just to see what it was like, just to try to feel what it would feel like to be there. It was dark. You have to go down two flights below the earth. And there's a simple little hole where they would drop a rope and it's just big enough to squeeze a person through. Maybe they put some food down there. Maybe they put some water down there. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a round kind of cell. Cinder, not, not cinder blocks, but, but uh, ancient Roman blocks. Um, I could touch the ceiling. Very small. And in this hole, they would drop a rope. And they would drop a rope because they were going to call the next person out that was ready to give their life. I wonder what it was like for Paul who had to be there when that rope dropped down and then you wondered, am I next? Am I next? Many people believe that from Rome, Paul wrote these words. And this is what he said. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race.
grace be with you all. But Paul wanted to be sure that he would have courage to share that Jesus was the answer. Uh, a lot to think about, you know. We're trying to, in the series, trying to somehow take you back to uh, 2,000 years ago when the letter Paul wrote to the Roman church was, was first written, and to give you some kind of context to, to what was happening. But the thing that is, uh, thanks, Carl, appreciate it. The thing that was um, that that sticks with you is when Paul was there. It's completely different from now. Now there are churches everywhere. Now Jesus is celebrated everywhere. Now Jesus is is worshipped everywhere. But at that time, um, it had no Christ had no messaging power. And so today, you know, fast forward, we, we hear people and, and you heard things said like, Jesus is the answer. And so what I want to do for the closing message is I just want to, um, I want to put that into, into flesh for us. What does that mean today? What, perhaps what did it mean back then when you say Jesus is the answer? It would be the, this is, this is the, the message, the gospel um, the good news. Um, before we go into Romans, I just want to reflect on a verse that Paul wrote in another one of his letters when he talked about Christ and the cross. And he said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, uh, you, I have that picture. I think they can bring it back up again. This is the donkey-headed God. This is the earliest known um, picture, if you will, of Jesus in the world. And this is in Rome. And uh, they're mocking a guy named Alexandros. Alexandros who worshipped this donkey head. They're, they're, it, it's, you know, it's, it's first century bullying, right? They're making fun of this guy. How could you worship a God as a donkey? And how in the world could you worship a God that's crucified? So that's foolishness. And dare I say, 2,000 years later, to a lot of people, what you are doing here is absolute foolishness. What are you doing here? Don't you have real problems? (laughs) Don't you have real things you need to be worried about? I mean, don't you got bills to pay? Shouldn't you be doing something better with your time? I know our culture can be a little more polite than that, but it is an undertone. Shouldn't you do something that has real power and real grit? What, what could actually come of you spending time worshiping, following, studying Jesus? So in Paul's letter, he gets into a part in a section of a letter where he starts to compare um, Jesus with Adam. So let's go back to the problem. What's the problem? Sin, selfishness, 
And I think we all uh, got to the point last week where we admitted, you know, church going or not church going, I will admit that if everybody in my company or everybody in my business group or every one of my neighbors, if the selfishness could be extracted from the conversation, from whatever it's it would be a lot better place to live and be, right? And we also kind of had to admit that there's a little bit in here, just a little. A little bit in here. In other words, selfishness, this idea that I'm going to do what's good for me, regardless of what it is for anybody else, I'm going to take care of me. That's the biggest problem. And that's the, if you trace back all the other sins, they all really trace back to this one central idea. Adam. So in Paul's letter, he contrasts Adam and Jesus. And he says, we're all related to Adam. We all got some of his genes. You know Adam's story? Here's Adam's story. God creates Adam, puts him in the garden, and says, you can eat anything you want in this garden, this massive, beautiful garden. Enjoy the shade. Enjoy the flowers. Enjoy the beauty. Try all the different flavors of fruit and enjoy it. Except for what? One that one tree. Can you leave that one alone? Easy. Is that easy? Now, he didn't say, here's this big, beautiful garden. Here's the one tree you can eat from. And this will sustain you and you'll be fine. Just eat from this one tree. This is the tree you eat from. I mean, that would be normal. No, the story is you can eat from any tree, anyone that you want. How many know where this story's going? Hmm? Anybody, anybody raise kids? You can play in this room and you can play in this room. Please don't go in this room. Huh? How many know just it, don't say that? It's better to just not mention that that room is there. Does this make sense? It, it, you know, there's a, there's a Bible verse that says, I wouldn't have known what sin was if you wouldn't have told me. I went to this uh, youth camp back when I was a youth pastor. And, uh, and uh, you know, after a while, I, I got decent at my job. I, I won't say I was great, but I, got, I was decent at it. Like, I started to figure these teenagers out a little bit, right? And uh, so we were at this camp, and this guy gets up there, and there's just a way you go about explaining things to them. And there's a way that you do not go about explaining things to them. And one way brings a certain result, and the other way brings an exact opposite result. So this guy gets all these kids into the camp, and uh, first thing he does is he gets them all into the chapel. I mean, we just got there, you know. They're excited. They're ready to have some fun. And what he did before he even got anywhere started is he went through a list of the rules. Well, this is exciting. First thing they did was check them for lice. Aren't you glad to be here, kids? Second thing he said, he went through a list of rules. I don't want you doing this, and I don't want you doing that. And I, and I, I mean, you can literally see the kids taking notes. I hadn't even thought of doing that. Well, that's a, and, and I don't want you going into this bunkhouse because of this. And I mean, literally just setting up a destructive week. And what happened the next day? Every single thing that he said don't do, they're going to try and do I went to another, true, true story. I went to another youth camp and uh, literally they, they get the kids there. And as soon as you get there, they have the, they had the ski boat at the dock. They were backed up. Get this. They were backed up and the engines were running and the skis were sitting there. 
And as soon as you got there, they said, we have no rules. And the kids went ballistic, right? And then, you know, three hours later, they said, we have a few suggestions. <laughs> right, so no one got killed. Which, which produced the better result? It's just like there's something in that human nature. It's just like, I just want this. I want what I can't have. And so Paul somehow says we're, we're connected to Adam, each and every one of us. That that propensity is inside of us. Now, last night, last night, we, we have a three-year-old. So last night, she, now here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. Let's just admit it. Um, I'm the softy, I think. And so when she wants some junk food, she comes over to me, and we all know what's happening. She gets very quiet. Dad, I tell you something. <laughs> she gets right into my ear, right? Mom's there. She has no idea what she's doing, right? And Dad, I see something. So we're at some friend's house, and she sees something, and it was a big bowl of M&Ms, and I said, would you like some? And she said, yeah. Don't tell Mom. It was right there. Okay. So I get, I get a yellow one, and I get an orange one, and I just put her in a moral dilemma. Which one do you want? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> and she waits long enough because she knows if she waits long enough, she might get both of them. Right. So I said, why don't you have both of them? She said, good idea. <laughs> she puts them in her mouth. Goes up on the couch, stuffs her face in the pillow, and chews like mad. <laughs> Mom's four feet away. She'll never know. She will never know what's going on. What does it say? What does it say that Adam did the next day when God went for his walk in the cool of the garden? His walk, his chat with Adam. He what? Adam hid. Isn't that funny? Isn't that, we do the exact same things. Exactly the same. The hiding, the hiding from God. Now, fast forward. Related to Adam, there's plenty to eat. There's plenty of trees. There's plenty of room for you. There's plenty, there's plenty. But what happens with so many of us is we start, for some reason, we get focused on the wrong thing. We get obsessed with that one tree, that one thing. And now we can't get that out of our minds. We, we have all of this to enjoy, all to enjoy. But we want that. But I want that. For no other reason. And this is what's been driving and what drove people back then, the inhumanity. I will do whatever it takes to get that. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care who I offend. I don't care what it does to me, what destruction it brings. I want that. I want that tree. Adam, Paul says... All of us, sin entered the world through that one man, therefore all sinned. In other words, we are all following the same pattern. We understand that the Adam pattern because all of us at some point in our life have done the Adam thing. 
Anybody want to, anybody dare to stand up and tell us how you haven't? I'll get you a microphone. At some point we realize, yep, that was me. That was me. I made my way through the garden, through all these trees I could have been enjoying. Anybody here walk past an entire section of your life that you could have been enjoying because you were pursuing some tree? Some of you walked right through your 30s. Nope, nope, nope. Talk to a lot of people. I walked right through my 40s trying to get to that tree. I could have smelled this flower. I could have tasted this fruit. I could have sat under this shade. But I wanted this thing over here. I was so obsessed with this. And so what Paul says is, Through Adam, sin entered, and all of us followed that pattern. Paraphrase. He goes, but Christ was also obsessed with a tree. What was this tree? The cross. Christ, too, was obsessed with a tree, but his tree was a not a, a, a self-serving tree, but it was a what? Sacrificial tree. Now, to everybody with power, and back in the Roman days, you'd think, that's stupid. Anybody, that, that's weak. So Paul said this. He said, the gospel is foolishness. We preach Christ crucified. This is our message. Christ crucified. And he says... The Jews demand miraculous signs. The Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Back to the mocking picture of Jesus. That's going to get you nowhere. That's going to get you nowhere. I think that message is still out there to this day. That's going to get you nowhere. You're wasting your time with the Jesus thing. And yet, Paul said, it is the power of God. So how does this answer really work? I mean, honestly, how does it actually work? How could Jesus actually do anything about the problems in that world or in ours today? It really comes down to what Paul called faith. Faith. Faith uh, was this. I'm putting my trust in this. I'm buying into this system. The, the other way you could have translated it was instead of faith, you would call it loyalty, pistis. So the emperors wanted pistis. They wanted loyalty. Here's how Paul s- sets it up. You're loyal to Adam or you're going to be loyal to Christ. He says this is what he called later the old man. The old man, the old you. The old version is going after that tree at all costs. Me, me, me. Me, me, and the tree, right? And the new man has been crucified with Christ. And Paul writes in, in Romans about baptism that when you're baptized, it's, it shows that you died. That old you, the tree obsessed you. Anybody? Anybody? I gotta have that tree. 
dies, and the new person, this is the baptism, right? The, symbol, the new one comes to life. You're a new person. Let me simplify it. How is Jesus the answer? How could it fix the problems in our world? How do you fix the problems in our world? One way. You need new humans. That's what you need. How do you change humans? Well, we've had all these different systems. You know, you have the Roman system. You just use power and intimidation. And then Paul was writing to his brothers and sisters that were Jewish. And they had their religious system and added a bunch of laws and rules. And it says the rules didn't help either. It just made them realize what they were doing was wrong. Because all that is an attempt to change from the outside. And the only way. The only way you bring real change is you change from the, where? Be a thousand times in your life, if there won't be 10,000, where you have the opportunity to do the wrong thing. And you, there's no rule, there's no one's going to catch you, but only this will tell you this is the right thing to do. Isn't that true? Right here. Anybody here ever employ someone or you've been an employee and you got the, what do you, the, the employee handbook? Has anybody, ever, has anybody ever read one of these things? I mean, you, you probably need five or six lawyers to sit down with you and just explain it to you. Like, what in the world? And, it, and you know, one time, like, you know, you know, eventually, like, I started this church and then, you know, I had to start hiring people to help because it got, got difficult and busy. And I'm like, well, where's the employee handbook? And I'm like, um come to work. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, don't have to, I don't have time to write an employee handbook. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And over time, they, well, what about this? And how many days off do I get? I go, none. You get no day. I don't get any days off. You don't get any days. And then, you know, then eventually I realized I had to put something in writing. Is anybody with me? So I started putting something in writing. And then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know how to do that. So you get the people that know how to do it. And next thing you know, it's like this big. And I'm like, no one's going to read that, let alone do it. Are you with me? You can't write enough rules. It's not possible. To get someone's heart in the right spot. Here's a crazy idea. Because that's what the gospel is. It's a crazy idea. How about the Jesus way? What if you got obsessed with serving others? Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That death and that resurrection evidently affected a lot of people. Because then, instead of using power and intimidation, people started using prayer and humility and sacrifice. And you know something? Somehow seeing people suffer. It got real quiet when Paul did this in the video, didn't it? Because Paul had been affected by someone else's sacrifice. Do you see how it works? And then it affects someone else, and then it affects someone else. And you start to see this. It's a different story. So what it comes down to is this. Paul saying, you get to choose which story you want to live out. The story of Adam 
or the story of Christ. And you can be related to both. When you were born, you're related to Adam. There is, you're beautiful, you're made in the image of God, but also a little selfish streak in there. And so the Bible talks about being born a second time or born again, like you get born into a new family, and that's the family of Christ where now instead of it being all me, 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 get the tree, get the tree, Jesus gives us a new focus for our life. He says, therefore, you pick up your cross. It changes you. Our world was changed through the gospel and the world continues to be changed through the gospel. But here's the key. Here's the key. You and I get a decision. Do I live out the story of Adam? Or do I live out the story of Christ? Which tree are you going to be obsessed with? That's what it comes down to.